Letter twenty one of Clarissa Harlowe, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter twenty one. Miss Howe to Miss Clarissa Harlowe, Thursday morning, daybreak, March thirtieth. An accident and not remissness has occasioned my silence. My mother was sent for on Sunday night by her cousin Larkin, whom I mentioned in one of my former, and who was extremely earnest to see her. This poor woman was always afraid of death, and was one of those weak persons who imagined that the making of their will must be an undoubted forerunner of it. She had always said, when urged to the necessary work, that whenever she made it she should not live long after, and one would think imagined she was under an obligation to prove her words, for though she had been long bed-rid, and was in a manner worn out before, yet she thought herself better, till she was persuaded to make it, and from that moment, remembering what she used to prognosticate, her fears, helping on what she feared, as is often the case, particularly in the smallpox, grew worse, and had it in her head once to burn her will, in hopes to grow better upon it. She sent my mother word, that the doctors had given her over, but that she could not die till she saw her. I told my mother, that if she wished her a chance for recovery, she should not, for that reason, go but go she would, and what was worse, would make me go with her, and that at an hour's warning, for she said nothing of it to me till she was rising in the morning early, resolving to return again at night. Had there been more time for argumentation, to be sure I had not gone, but as it was, there was a kind of necessity, that my preparation to obey her should, in a manner, accompany her command, a command so much out of the way on such a solemn occasion, and this I represented, but to no purpose, there never was such a contradicting girl in the world, my wisdom always made her a fool, but she would be obliged this time, proper or improper. I have but one way of accounting for this sudden whim of my mother, and that is this. She had a mind to accept of Mr. Hickman's offer to escort her, and I verily believe, I wish I were quite sure of it, had a mind to oblige him with my company, as far as I know, to keep me out of worse. For would you believe it, as sure as you are alive, she is afraid for her favourite Hickman, because of the long visit your Lovelace, though so much by accident, made me in her absence, last time she was at the same place. I hope, my dear, you are not jealous too. But indeed I, now and then, when she teases me with praises which Hickman cannot deserve, in return fall to praising those qualities and personalities in Lovelace, which the other never will have. Indeed I do love to tease a little bit, that I do. My mamma's girl, I had liked to have said. As you know, she is as passionate as I am pert, you will not wonder to be told, that we generally fall out on these occasions. She flies from me at the long run. It would be undutiful in me to leave her first, and then I get an opportunity to pursue our correspondence. For now I am rambling, let me tell you, that she does not much favour that, for two reasons, I believe. One, that I don't shew her all that passes between us. The other, that she thinks I harden your mind against your duty, as it is called. And with her, for a reason at home, as I have hinted more than once, Parents cannot do wrong, children cannot oppose and be right. This obliges me now and then to steal an hour, as I may say, and not let her know how I am employed. You may guess from what I have written how averse I was to comply with such an unreasonable stretch of motherly authority, but it came to be a test of duty, so I was obliged to yield, though with a full persuasion of being in the right. I have always your reproofs upon these occasions, in your late letters stronger than ever. A good reason why, you'll say, because more deserved than ever. I thank you kindly for your correction. 
i hope to make correction of it but let me tell you that your stripes whether deserved or not have made me sensible deeper than the skin but of this another time it was monday afternoon before we reached the old lady's house that fiddling parading fellow you know who i mean made us wait for him two hours and i to go to a journey i disliked only for the sake of having a little more tawdry upon his housings which he had hurried his saddler to put on to make him look fine being to escort his dear madam howe and her fair daughter i told him that i supposed he was afraid that the double solemnity in the case that of the visit to a dying woman and that of his own countenance would give him the appearance of an undertaker to avoid which he ran into as bad an extreme and i doubted would be taken for a mountebank the man was confounded he took it as strongly as if his conscience gave assent to the justice of the remark otherwise he would have borne it better for he is used enough to this sort of treatment i thought he would have cried i have heretofore observed that on this side of the contract he seems to be a mighty meek sort of creature and though i should like it in him hereafter perhaps yet i can't help despising him a little in my heart for it now i believe my dear we all love your blustering fellows best could we but direct the bluster and bid it roar when and at whom we pleased the poor man looked at my mother she was so angry my airs upon it and my opposition to the journey have all helped that for half the way she would not speak to me and when she did it was i wish i had not brought you you know not what it is to condescend it is my fault not mr hickman's that you are here so much against your will have you no eyes for this side of the chariot and then he fared the better from her as he always does for faring worse from me for there was how do you now sir and how do you now mr hickman as he ambled now on this side of the chariot now on that stealing a prim look at me her head half out of the chariot kindly smiling as if married to the man but a fortnight herself while well, i always saw something to divert myself on the side of the chariot where the honest man was not were it but old robin at a distance on his roan keffel our courtship days they say are our best days favour destroys courtship distance increases it its essence is distance and to see how familiar these men wretches grow upon a smile what an awe they are struck into when we frown who would not make them stand off who would not enjoy a power that is to be short-lived don't chide me one bit for this my dear it is in nature i can't help it nay for that matter i love it and wish not to help it so spare your gravity i beseech you on this subject i set up not for a perfect character the man will bear it and what need you care my mother overbalances all he suffers and if he thinks himself unhappy he ought never to be otherwise then did he not deserve a fit of the sullens think you to make us lose our dinner for his parade since in so short a journey my mother would not bait and lose the opportunity of coming back that night had the old lady's condition permitted it to say nothing of being the cause that my mamma was in the glout with her poor daughter all the way at our lighting i gave him another dab but it was but a little one yet the manner and the air made up as i intended they should for that defect my mother's hand was kindly put into his with a simpering altogether bridle and with another how do you now sir all his plump muscles were in motion and a double charge of care and obsequiousness fidgeted up his whole form when he offered to me his officious palm my mother when i was a girl always bid me hold up my head i just then remembered her commands and was dutiful i never held up my head so high with an averted supercilious eye and a rejecting hand half flourishing i have no need of help sir you are in my way he ran back as if on wheels with a face excessively mortified i had thoughts else to have followed the too gentle touch with a declaration that i had as many hands and feet as himself 
but this would have been telling him a piece of news as to the latter that i hope he had not the presumption to guess at we found the poor woman as we thought at the last gasp had we come sooner we could not have got away as we intended that night you see i am for excusing the man all i can and yet i assure you i have not so much as a conditional liking to him my mother sat up most part of the night expecting every hour would have been her poor cousin's last i bore her company till two i never saw the approaches of death in a grown person before and was extremely shocked death to one in health is a very terrible thing we pity the person for what she suffers and we pity ourselves for what we must some time hence in like sort suffer and so are doubly affected she held out till tuesday morning eleven as she had told my mother that she had left her an executrix and her and me rings a morning we were employed all that day in matters of the will by which by the way my own cousin jenny finnett is handsomely provided for so that it was wednesday morning early before we could set out on our return it is true we got home having no housings to stay for by noon but though i sent robin away before he dismounted who brought me back a whole packet down to the same wednesday noon yet was i really so fatigued and shocked as i must own at the hard death of the old lady my mother likewise who has no reason to dislike this world being indisposed from the same occasion that i could not set about writing time enough for robin's return that night but having recruited my spirits my mother having also had a good night i arose with the dawn to write this and get it dispatched time enough for your breakfast airing that your suspense might be as short as possible i will soon follow this with another i will employ a person directly to find out how lovelace behaves himself at his inn such a busy spirit must be traceable but perhaps my dear you are indifferent now about him or his employments for this request was made before he mortally offended you nevertheless i will have inquiry made the result it is very probable will be of use to confirm you in your present unforgiving temper and yet if the poor man shall i pity him for you my dear should be deprived of the greatest blessing any man on earth can receive and to which he has the presumption with so little merit to aspire he will have run great risks caught great coals hazarded fevers sustained the highest indignities braved the inclemencies of skies and all for nothing will not this move your generosity if nothing else in his favour poor mr lovelace i would occasion no throb nor half throb no flash of sensibility like lightning darting in and as soon suppressed by a discretion that no one of the sex ever before could give such an example of i would not i say and yet for such a trial of you to yourself rather than as an impertinent overflow of raillery in your friend as money-takers try a suspected guinea by the sound let me on such a supposition sound you by repeating poor mr lovelace and now my dear how is it with you how do you now as my mother says to mr hickman when her pert daughter has made him look sorrowful End of letter 21